been telling you now for seven years every Sunday that I love you, and I was thinking, I, I, I don't just mean when I say I love you, I don't just mean that I like you, even though I do like you. One of the things that I mean when I say I love you is that I care about you. And, and every Sunday as I stand over there right before I come up here and, and get to tell you that I love you, I, I look out and I, I think about some of, the, some of the struggles that I know that some of you have. Some of the families that have lost loved ones and some of the, the families that are struggling with health struggles like cancer and, and other worries and fears that they have. Things that I know are going on in your, your career or at school or at work. And I, I think about some of the, the problems and the struggles and the burdens and the worries that I know that you have. And then there are infinitely more that you have that I don't know about. But I know that all of us come here with, with worries, don't we? Things that are on our mind and in our heart that we don't know how these things are going to work out. And we, we try to kind of push those things aside and, and try not to think about them, but they're, they're overwhelming sometimes, aren't they? And I was thinking about this, this idea we've, we've spent a lot of time already this year thinking about, and that's faith. And if I, if I told you, you shared with me your burden, your worry, your fear, your struggle, and, and you said, this is what's on my mind, this is what's on my heart, and I said, have faith, I wonder what you would think I meant by that. Some, if I said, have faith, you, you might kind of roll your eyes, and, and I, I wouldn't really blame you because of how we tend to think about that word faith and what we think that means when someone says, have faith. When we're, when we're really worried about something, we think, I don't know how this is going to work out, and I, 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 I'm just overwhelmed by this, and somebody says to us, have faith, I think sometimes what we think that means is just sit back and do nothing and trust that God is going to fix this problem. Isn't that what we think that means? But I hope, I hope that over the last few weeks, and I hope that, that in the coming weeks, we understand that faith is so much, it's more than that. There, there's some truth to that, but, but we tend to think about faith and having faith as something that is very passive, don't we? We think about faith as something that we do passively. But faith must be lived out. I, I hope that that's what we've seen over the last few weeks. And I hope that as we continue to think about faith as loyalty, I hope that, that we'll realize this, that faith must be lived out. And that's why, again, it's, it's helpful to think of faith as allegiance, and loyalty. Because if somebody says, be loyal, if somebody says, give God your allegiance, you would realize that that's something that, that must be done actively. It's not just something that you do passively. So when we say, have faith, when we say, be like these people in Hebrews 11, people of faith, we're saying more than just sit back, don't do anything, and trust that God is going to fix this situation. It's so much more than that. We're saying that faith must be lived out. You might think of it like a, like a story. Being a person of faith is being someone who is convinced that the story of the world and our story is God's story. 
It's this commitment that I'm going to live out the story of God. I'm going to live out the story of the gospel. I'm going to step into that story, and I'm going to live into that story because that story not only tells me where I've been and where we've been, but where we are and where we're headed. There are lots of stories in the world, lots of stories by which you could live, but being a person of faith is living according to the the good news story. But here's the thing about about faith, the thing about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all these people we've been talking about the last few weeks. When you are a person of faith, when you live out faith, when you live loyally, loyally to God, it doesn't make sense to people who don't live by that same story. It seems absolutely ridiculous to them. But, but faith is being someone like Abraham or Isaac or Jacob and saying, I will live wherever you tell me to live, God. I will go wherever you tell me to go. I will live as a stranger. I will live as a foreigner. I will live as an exile. I will live as a sojourner. I will live in tents, Lord, because I'm going to live out this story that you've told me I'm a part of. It's, it's being like Abraham and saying to God, I will sacrifice whatever it is that you tell me to sacrifice, Lord. Even if it's something that I love more than life itself, I will sacrifice whatever it is you tell me to sacrifice because I know that this story is going to end the way you say that it's going to end. It's, it's being like Moses and saying, I, I will suffer mistreatment with your people rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I'm going to live according to your story, even if living according to your story seems ridiculous to the people around me. That's what it means when we encourage one another, have faith. Have faith. We're we're saying, be loyal to him. Live according to this story even on the days where it doesn't really make sense. It doesn't look like it's going to work out the way that we think it's going to work out. Even on the days where it hurts, even on the days where it's scary, even when you realize you've already messed up, you've already fallen short. When we say have faith, we mean live according to this story no matter what. I want to pick up where we left off last week, a little bit earlier than our scripture reading this morning. I think it's Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 30. And here's an interesting story. When when the the people of Israel, when when the Hebrew people came into the promised land, the first city that they conquered was Jericho. You you may or may not be familiar with that story, but they, they came to the city of Jericho, a walled city as most big cities were back then. Ancient cities had these big walls around them. And they were supposed to conquer this city. This, this group of, of freed slaves with nothing, no city of their own, were supposed to conquer this walled city. And do you remember what they were supposed to do? March around it, right? Seven times or seven days, they were supposed to march around these walls. And here's what the Hebrew writer says. He says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By By what they fell down? By faith they fell down. As opposed to what? As opposed to military strength? 
There wasn't any of that. They didn't fall by military strength. They, they didn't fall by, by strategy. They didn't, even, they didn't even fall by, the, by the, the goodness of the people because the people were so good the walls came down. They, they, they came down because the people had faith. But, but what did that faith look like? What did that faith do? By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. They had to do what God said to do, live out the story that God gave to them, even though that seemed ridiculous, didn't it? Here, here's how it's going to work. You're going to walk around this city for seven days, and then the walls are going to come down? I mean, can you imagine day after day after day how silly that seemed? But yet, they did it because they were being loyal to God. One simple act of loyalty to him. See, and again, there's so much application there for us, isn't there? Because the Sermon on the Mount, and I think about the Sermon on the Mount a lot. I hope that in your Bible classes on Sunday mornings, you've been thinking about the Sermon on the Mount as you've been thinking about Moses and the law that God gave to the, the, the people of Israel and the way that they were supposed to live very different from the people around them is very similar to the way that Jesus gave this sermon to his people to say, this is the way you're supposed to live as my followers, as my disciples. But living that way, living that way, loving your enemies, turning the other cheek, considering yourself blessed when you're persecuted, going so far to avoid sin that you would pretty much cut out your eye or cut off your hand, to avoid sin, living that way seems ridiculous, doesn't it? Why would we live like the Sermon on the Mount? Because we trust that Jesus' story is the truth. We're living as people of faith. And it's, it seems just as silly, just as ridiculous as marching around a city for seven days thinking that that's going to bring down the walls. When we live out the Sermon on the Mount, when we live out the teachings of Jesus, that's what it is to have faith. Trust God. It isn't sit back and do nothing and assume that God is going to fix this particular problem. Honestly, I don't know what's going to happen with this particular problem. But I, I do know, I do know that if you live loyally, if you give Jesus your allegiance and you live out his story, then I know you're going to live forever and you're going to be blessed now and you're going to be blessed forever according to his story. Look at verse 31. He says, by faith, Rahab the... I won't make you say the word, but Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. I always wonder if in the resurrection she will appreciate the fact that we always refer to her this way. I don't know. But isn't it interesting that the Hebrew writer, he's, he's telling people who are familiar with this story, he reminds them of the kind of woman she was. 
Because the people of faith weren't just the people marching around the city. There was a a person of faith inside the city, a Gentile person, a Gentile woman, a Gentile prostitute. And she was a person of faith. She had heard about Yahweh. She had heard about the God of these Hebrew people. And she said, this God is not like my God's. This God, the God of the Hebrew people, he is not like the God of my people. He's not like the God, the gods of the Canaanites. This God is going to be the God who rules and reigns here. And this God is going to give my place to these people. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give my loyalty to this God. You know what that makes somebody? What does that make someone when they say, I'm going to throw my lot in with the people who are attacking us? Makes them a traitor to their people, doesn't it? And she was willing to be a traitor to her people, to give her allegiance to the God of this people who were about to march on her city, to welcome the spies who had come there to spy out the city. She protected them. Why? Because she knew that there was something special about their God. And so that simple act of allegiance, that simple act of loyalty, meant that she was on God's side. It didn't matter. It didn't matter where she had been. It didn't matter what she had done. It didn't matter who she had been with. It didn't matter what people group she belonged to. What mattered to God was that she gave him her loyalty. And when she threw her lot in with the Hebrew people, with the Israelite people, and with their God, and said, I trust your God, not the gods of my people, not the gods of my city, not the gods that I grew up with, and I'm going to give my loyalty and allegiance to your God, that simple act of loyalty and allegiance put her into the story of Israel. In fact, so much so that she would become one of the ancestors of Jesus. She got grafted into this family. She got grafted into this story. Why? Because she gave her loyalty, her allegiance, her faith to this God. It didn't mean she sat back and said, okay, I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. She did something. But this simple act of loyalty and allegiance, it was more important than what she had done or who she had been or who she had been with or what people she belonged to. This simple act of loyalty and allegiance put her into the story of God. Look at verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets. Now, you may recognize some of those names and others you may not recognize. And I've always struggled with some of these names. I mean, because so far he's given us names like Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses. And all of those make perfect sense. But then we get to Gideon. I think, Gideon, come on. Gideon, really? In this hall of faith chapter? Gideon? If you go back to the book of Judges and you read about Gideon, I mean, Gideon was a guy, I mean, he doubted and doubted and doubted and doubted, and then he he trusted, and then he kind of made a a bunch more mistakes after that. I mean, 
this is not a person that you would look at and you say, he's a good, good person. You look at him and you say, he's a, he's a flawed person. And then Barak, he, he was a, a judge who was, who was hesitant. When it was time to go to war, he was hesitant. He didn't want to go. Samson, Samson, I mean, I know we like the story about Samson, but we don't really look at Samson and say, yeah, you ought to follow his example. I mean, Samson was a guy, he was deceitful. He was a womanizer. He was violent. I mean, he, this is not the kind of person you think he's a good person. You look at all of these men, you think these are flawed people. These are sinful people. These are broken people. Jephthah, I mean, Jephthah, he made one of the worst decisions in the Bible. He said, God, if you give me victory, I'll sacrifice to you whatever comes out of my house. Oops, it was his daughter. That guy? That guy? But actually, the more you think about this list, the more I, I hope we realize that I'm so thankful these guys made the list. Because yes, they are flawed. Rahab was flawed. Barak was flawed, Gideon was flawed, Samson was flawed, Jephthah was flawed. They were sinful people. But, but they also had moments, moments where they gave God their loyalty and allegiance. Moments where they said, I know, I know the odds are stacked against me. I know it doesn't make sense. I, 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 know, that, that, I know that this seems ridiculous, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to throw my lot in with you, God. I'm going to live according to your story. And those simple acts of loyalty, those simple acts of allegiance, by living according to God's story, because of that, they were able to experience salvation and victory and deliverance because they were good? Nope. Because they were smart? Nope. Because they were some sort of Bible scholars or they had this long list of great deeds they had done? No. Because of their piety and religiosity? No. Because they had faith. Again, not faith that sits back and does nothing and says, I, I guess God's going to fix this problem. No, faith that says, I will live according to your story. I'll go where you tell me to go. I'll do what you tell me to do. I'll live like you tell me to live. I will, I will live according to your story. It doesn't matter where I've been. It doesn't matter what I've done. It doesn't matter how far short I've fallen. I'm going to live out your story. I'm going to live according to that. And those simple acts of loyalty, God rewarded with deliverance and salvation it doesn't mean that they it doesn't mean that they earned god's salvation or god's favor they trusted that god was going to give them deliverance and because of that trust they acted accordingly they lived accordingly they lived with loyalty so I hope we read this list of, of names and, and we think, regardless of what happened yesterday, regardless of who you were yesterday, regardless of what you did yesterday, because maybe there's a voice in your head that tells you, you've already blown it. You've already fallen short. You've, you've doubted. You've, you've strayed. You've sinned. 
And you think because of that, that that disqualifies you. But these names remind me, regardless of what you did yesterday, regardless of whether or not you doubted yesterday, regardless of whether or not you fell short yesterday, be faithful now. Be loyal now. Give him your allegiance now. That's what this Hebrew writer is encouraging people to do. Hold on. Hold on. I know, I know it's tempting to give up. I know it's tempting to walk away. I know it's tempting to live according to a different story. But regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you've done, regardless of the mistakes you've made, live faithfully now. Choose today to live trusting God and his story. Look at verse 33. These people who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. They experienced the salvation, the deliverance, the victory of God, not by strength, not by power, not by strategy, not by wealth, but through what, church? Faith. Through faith. These simple acts of loyalty. Saying, I'm going to do it your way, God. Even when it doesn't make sense, I'm going to do it your way. Even when it seems ridiculous, I'm going to do it your way. Even when the odds are stacked against me, I'm going to do it your way. And when they did, they experienced the salvation and the deliverance and the victory of God. We, we, don't, we don't experience deliverance and salvation simply by sitting back and doing nothing, saying, I guess God's going to fix this, but by living according to the story that he's given us. But, but even these things were just, were just a glimpse of salvation, weren't they? Just a, a foretaste of salvation. Just a, a sneak peek, a preview of salvation. Because all of these people still died. They were still buried. They still got diseases. They still got old. They still hurt. And in fact, some of them suffered far worse. Look at the latter part of verse 35. He says, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. This is painful to read, isn't it? They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Now remember why the Hebrew writer is writing this book. Why is he preaching this sermon? Because there are so many Christians who are on the brink of giving up because people are not being nice to them anymore. Because they've fallen out of favor with their family and friends. Because they're suffering shame, and that's hard. But he reminds them, this is what your ancestors suffered. This is what they went through. 
And they suffered and suffered and suffered and suffered and suffered and suffered. Why? Because they were being faithful to Yahweh. Because they were giving their loyalty to the Lord. Because they were following his story. And they were willing, because they were living out that story, because they were living out their faith, they were willing to suffer torture and mocking and flogging and chains and imprisonment and being stoned and sawn in two and killed with the sword. Why? Because they trusted that the story was going to end the way God said it was going to end. And can you imagine? Even in the moment where stones were being thrown at them, even in the moment when the sword was being sharpened, even when the whip was crossing their back, they trusted somehow this story is going to end the way God says it's going to end. He says in verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. This is what loyalty looks like. And this is the, the sort of loyalty and allegiance that we're being called to. The, the, the sort of loyalty and allegiance that, that we can all live out. You, you don't have to be a, a Bible scholar you don't have to have this long list of great religious deeds that you have done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you've been with. What matters is what you start doing now. Who will you be going forward? This story is a story for people like Rahab, people like Gideon, People like Barak, people like Jephthah, people like Samson can be part of this story. People like, like, the, like the Israelites who marched around Jericho. What matters is, will you trust him now? Will you throw your lot in with God and with his people and say, I will live according to your story, even if that means I have to suffer as those who came before me suffered. Verse 39, and all these though commended through their faith, did not receive, did not receive what was promised. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. There's no promise that that victory that deliverance, that salvation is going to happen in a particular lifetime. And so some of them were destitute and were afflicted and were persecuted and were mocked their entire lives. And none of them, none of them, none of the people that he's mentioned here, none of them received all the promises of God. They were still waiting. Waiting for what? Well, he says, waiting for something better. And that's where the rest of the book of Hebrews, who, who's the better? What's the better? The, the better is Jesus. The better is the, the promises that we have because of Jesus. Because Jesus has come. We have received that, that better king, that better high priest, that better prophet. The one that the prophets had said was coming. He is the better one, the better sacrifice. And they were all waiting for him so that together, together, us in the, the first century and us in the 21st century and 
those who came before us, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and David and Jephthah and Rahab, all of us together will be raised to live forever and we'll all enter into the new Jerusalem together. Together. And he says all of them, they waited and they waited and they waited and they waited for what now has been revealed to you, Jesus. Jesus is the better one. But there's still, there's still waiting that we have to do, isn't there? Even though that, that better promise has been revealed to us, we're living in the last days. We've been living in the last days since the Spirit was poured out on Pentecost. We, we've seen the last chapter of the book. And we're living in it, but we're still waiting. But we have all of these brothers and sisters who came before us to show us how to wait and how to live by faith. Living by faith is not sitting by passively doing nothing, expecting that God is going to fix this particular problem. Living by faith is saying, I'm going to live according to your story. And know that when this story is over, when this story is over, we will experience far better than we could have ever asked or imagined. And the good news is you don't have to be flawless, just faithful. To experience the salvation and the deliverance and the victory that God has to offer his people, you don't have to be flawless, just faithful. It's good news, isn't it? That this victory is for people like you. This victory is for people like me. When I think about all the things I've done and how far short I've fallen, sometimes Satan would like to trick me into thinking, you've already blown it, Wes. You've already messed up too bad. You've doubted too much. You've strayed too far. You've fallen too short. And then I'm reminded that we are not saved by works. We are saved by grace through faith. This is a gift of God so that no one can boast. But that faith by which we're saved is not passive where we just sit by and do nothing. It requires us to live out this loyalty to God. Live loyally to him, remembering all the while that our faithfulness begins and ends with Jesus, not us. Our faithfulness begins and ends with Jesus, not us. He is, he'll say in the next chapter, chapter 12, that he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Our faith and our salvation begins and ends with him. We follow him into the baptistry, don't we? We follow him into the water, dying to ourself, dying to our old life, dying to our old story, and saying, I'm not going to live that story out anymore. I want a new story being buried with him, being united with him, and then being raised up to, to live out, to walk out this new life by faith, trusting that his story is the right story, the true story, the story that ends well. And some of you haven't made that decision yet. 
And maybe it's time to pledge your allegiance and your loyalty, your loyalty to King Jesus. To say, wherever you call me to go, I'll go. Whatever you call me to do, I'll do. However you call me to live, I will live. I won't be flawless. I won't be perfect. But I will be faithful. And if you haven't been baptized into Jesus, let me encourage you. Take that step today. Or maybe you have made that decision. And you you feel like maybe you've strayed from that. And you need to recommit your life to Jesus. That's the beauty of this story that we're a part of. At any point that you realize, I'm not living out the story. I need to come home. Your heavenly father is there with open arms, with grace and mercy and love to say, come home. Whatever you've done in the past, what matters is, will you live by faith now? Will you live loyally now? Or maybe you're just struggling and you're hurting and you're carrying a heavy burden and it's weighing you down and you need your brothers and sisters in Christ to surround you with love and prayers. Our shepherds would love to meet with you in the prayer room or you can come forward now. Let's together we stand, sing the song.